Hey, guess what, Ed? Last night, after the semi-final between Sunderland and Manchester United, Juan Mata was arrested reversing down the M6. Boom! Football banter lols. That's uh, courtesy of every person in the whole world, as far as I can work out. So I decided to be a little bit post-ironic and put up that classic picture of a sheet outside the Bridgewater Hospital and uh, put a massive Spanish conquistador's hat type thing, you know, the big black ones with pom-poms on, on top of the sheet, and said, "Yeah, conclusive proof Juan Mata is in Manchester, assuming that uh, the world would get a bit of irony and uh, and laugh at this in a post-ironic way. And a lot of people took it very seriously, going, that's a fake, how dare you? <laughs> also, at the time, he, live pictures of him unashamedly in Manchester were being shown on Sky Sports News. The diminutive genius arrived by helicopter in what can only be described as appropriate transport for a player of his quality. Certainly a dramatic quality to it. What's wrong with the train? You're that much of a rock star. You're not allowed on the train and you don't want to You want to go with the unwashed. Listen. Poor people smell. Anything that's going to delay or potentially delay his signing. Hopefully by the time you're listening to this, this is a done deal. If it's not, it probably means it's all horrifically fallen apart at the last minute. And Jose Mourinho is going to cackle with laughter and say, as if you thought I would really sell you this amazing footballer. Uh, it's true. It could be a fantastic troll, but I don't think it is. Fee, as we record, Fee has agreed. Terms are agreed with the player agents fees agreed and, and all of that it's just down to the medical and, and we shouldn't have a worry there he's not a player with a history of injury problems or maybe something will be found who knows but um, anyway look why don't we start on this positive news because there's a lot of doom about to come uh, in terms of the actual you know on on the pitch stuff one matter 37 million pounds a premium for sure of course because it's in the winter and United are buying off a major rival although apparently Jose doesn't believe we're a major rival anymore but uh, an amazing piece of business I mean just what an absolute joy given how abject the football's been to have something cheerful to talk about is just wonderful I mean I think both of us suspected strongly that there would be no significant business in this transfer window and cannot say that this is not extremely significant business there are lots of questions about the transfer you said something along the lines of an extremely attractive band-aid for a gaping axe wound or something like that What, what do you mean by that I don't want to sound negative about this at all. I really don't because I think he's a fantastic little player and a player that in two seasons with Chelsea had become world class. I don't think he was at Valencia, though he was a very good young attacking player. I think he added a lot of dimension to his game in Chelsea. So we've got a player who's basically a world class attacking creative midfielder. There's no reason why you wouldn't want this player at Manchester United. You know, his presence uh, is a boost, boost in terms of quality, overall quality at the club, boost in terms of your options. He's a 2020 player, player who can score 20 goals a season and 20 assists a season. You know, he's huge class and it's only really to do the depth of the Spanish squad and especially midfielders around the Spanish squad that he might not make the squad for Spain, right? So that said... The real question mark uh, in my mind is exactly how United will use him or more pointedly how David Moyes will use him and whether he's really what United actually need. And the question this brings up in my mind is whether United have a strategy here or whether it's it's entirely down to what's just available. Would United have gone after this player or a player of his type, number 10, if he hadn't been available? Or is it just opportunism? And if it's opportunism, are United missing out on other players that are desperately needed, a central defender, a central midfielder, a fullback or two, maybe a winger? who are probably needed more than another creative player. And the reason I say that, of course, is because the player's preferred role is the one that Rooney has taken up this season. Rooney is, of course, in David Moyes' world, undroppable. The one that Shinji Kigawa would like to play and rarely gets a chance to. The one that we probably think that is Yanazai's best position. So you've got three players who can play in that number 10 role. At a stretch, if you were desperate, you could play Ashley Young. You had to have to be really desperate. And, and so we brought another one. You know, the prospect of... Juan Mata, Shinji Kagawa, Adnan Yanazai, Robin Van Persie and Wayne Rooney in a side. I've got to admit it, I'm getting an erection right now. It's pretty good. And if I go silent for a while, well, you know, I just had to solve that problem, didn't I? But that is, that is magnificent. That is as good an attacking unit of players as you get anywhere in Europe. Absolutely fantastic. I'm really excited about it. And what it also says, and I, I'm sorry, I'm 
going on for a while here. What it also says is this United squad is set up to play nice, attacking, attractive, intricate football that doesn't look very much like the football that David Moyes has been playing this season that definitely is not based on wide players hugging the touchline and lumping a ball in and is based on possession of the football because that's how you get the best out of those players. And that's the thing that worries me most, that Moyes has shown nothing in 10 years at Everton and his six months at United that says he can get the best out of that type of player. There you go. I think that, that to just take the last point, because I, I mean, you know, apart from when it got real graphic there, I agree with all of that. I, I mean, gosh, the idea of Mata, Rooney, Yanazai, Kagawa alternating to support Van Persie and Danny Welbeck, that sounds real, real nice, doesn't it? The thing about Moyes and the football he's playing, I mean, you know, there is there is a very clear reading of the situation which says he's signing a gifted, diminutive, creative attacking player who can play in the hole or coming in off the left. This is not good news for Shinji Kagawa, right? But the flip side of that is maybe it is Moyes getting himself the players that he feels he needs to play a 4 2 3 one and hopefully everyone will know what I mean by that, the shorthand of that. You know, I'm talking about the kind of 4-2-3-1 where the three are extremely fluid. They can make effective use of the flanks, but also come inside and interchange and get a bit of false nine action going on for those of you like that sort of thing. It could be extremely effective. And if he can uh, solve the problem of the two in the 4-2-3-1, because their job is so incredibly vital and Carrick and Fletcher are just not going to cut it together. They can't do it all themselves. At the moment, they can't do that much of it themselves, frankly. So yeah, there there still remains problems to be solved. But the fact that Moyes' first marquee signing, because the Fellaini signing was, you know... Desperate. Yeah, exactly. But the first proper marquee signing is the kind of player who we all would absolutely love to see playing for United. And I totally get that there is a kind of cynical... I don't mean cynical in a critical way. I mean, you know, there is a, a reading of the situation where it's like, oh gosh, can Moyes even do anything with these players? But the flip side of it is, the positive reading of it is, isn't it great that that's the player he's bringing in? He's not bringing in Adam Johnson or something, you know, to play on the flanks. Well, look, he's bringing in a hugely, hugely talented player. Uh, not to repeat myself, a, a talented player that fits into a certain style of play. You know, it would be such a massive waste if Moyes was to basically do with matter what he's done with Kagawa which is to effectively play straight 4-4-2 people who play a different analysis on that I think are wrong because the way he uses his wide players in particular so he plays a straight 4-4-2 and sticks matter there and expects him to cover Patrice Evra uh, who you know he's wont to wonder is he not uh, then I think there's going to be a massive waste of matter's talents yes he's more comfortable playing from the left than Shinji Kagawa and he's more and take this comparison the right way. He's more comfortable in the way that Zinedine Zidane was comfortable playing off the left and, and still influencing the game. He's more comfortable in the way that Adnan Yanazai is able to play off a wide position and influence the game in the middle. And maybe that's what Moyes wants. And maybe he's evolving. Maybe he's becoming Manchester United rather than trying to bend the club to his will. Because that hasn't worked, has it? So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that you know this serves to provide a new impetus and direction for United's season. I'm hopeful, actually, more that it provides a new direction for David Moyes. You know, and it makes me think that what with the really significant amount of change there's likely to be in the summer, much more than we're used to, that Moyes will be able to shape his own team and will be able to grow into the position more than he has. You know, and, and that's me being optimistic about it. But you know, when I when I analyse it with a more cold heart than that. I see what Moyes has done for 10 years at Everton and six or seven months here and it doesn't seem very likely and it seems like he might waste the player but of course you know this is all speculation until we actually get matter on the pitch and he's signed and we see him and then we'll find out yeah absolutely and and you know perhaps unsurprisingly I'm choosing to take a relatively glass half full approach to this whole situation which is that he's chosen to buy matter the club structure is such that Moyes is not necessarily directly involved in the transfers, although there is talk that there was a, a bottle of wine shared between Moyes and Mourinho after the Chelsea game. And I did actually think it was quite interesting how generally uh, respectful Mourinho continued to be. It might just be, you know, Ferguson being respectful of Wenger when he no longer saw him as a threat. But I think, you know, Red Issue have long speculated that Mourinho wanted the job in a very desperate way and that the, the courting of Manchester United would stop. But 
but to come on to the Chelsea game uh, when the United fans were singing you wanted the job Mourinho gave a little wave you know he, he strayed into Moyes' technical area at one point and then kind of very respectfully apologised sort of thing he's definitely keeping up the charm offensive and that makes sense if, in the background of like a multi-million pound transfer going on in the background of all that and, and it is kind of an interesting decision to sell Mata to United and, and I suppose Mourinho just thinks that United are not going to be strengthened enough by the signing of Mata for it to be a problem well, I think in the short term, he it, it, he's right, right? This is not going to fire United to the title. The title is beyond United's reach. And, and as I said, this is a band-aid for a for a very big wound uh, in, in United's confidence and, and the quality of the squad and how they're performing at the moment. This is not going to change some fundamental problems, right? But it should give United a stimulus. Whether it's enough to even fire United into the Champions League is, is interesting as well, you know, because it might not be, especially if uh, the club keeps conceding goals. But back to Mourinho, um, I think he's been quite cold-headed about it. He's, he's just thinking about what's important for Chelsea. He's probably needing to balance the books a little bit more than in the past because uh, FFP is on the horizon and he'll get two very good players out of it. It looks like they've signed Mohamed Salah, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right. Very exciting winger. I've only seen him a couple of times, but he looked very good. And the kind of player that he wants to play, which is direct, energetic, wide players. Uh, and Matter is a creative number 10 playing in a wide position. Yeah, That's basically why he hasn't got the job, you know. Uh, at Chelsea this season, uh, Mourinho has played fast players in all of those positions. Willian, Oscar, Azar, and, and all of them are very quick, all of them very direct, all of them prepared to take on a player, uh, all of them create goals and score goals. And, and Matter is much more of a classic number 10, and uh, he's just not the player that Mourinho wanted. You know, and in a way, this is interesting, right? Because in Italy, and to a certain extent, Spain, but definitely Italy, the big clubs trade players between them all the time. And it doesn't happen in England because of the kind of parochial nature of, of football here and and the passion that goes on between fans and a player that who's a favourite. And, and it's interesting that because it's very rare that you get these big transfers in England between big clubs. Yeah, absolutely. And last season we bought Arsenal's you know, previous season's player of the year and this season we bought Chelsea's previous season's player of the year. If we keep this up, we're going to end up with Luis Suarez up front next season and nobody wants that. Wow. <laughs> Most certainly not, thank you. Uh, the Chelsea game then, I, I don't know, I kind of like feel like such a Debbie Downer. We'll, we'll definitely talk a bit about transfers and hope for the future again at the end of the show. But for now, I guess we have to get into the proper doom because uh, there was some serious doom action on the pitch. What a fantastic 10 minutes those first 10 minutes were. And during those 10 minutes, all I could think of was, oh no, oh no, (laughs) this is Barcelona 2009 and 2011 all over again. Well, especially 2011, yeah. yeah. Uh, Look, I have to say, I didn't agree with Moyes' assessment uh, after the Chelsea game at all. Not not in the slightest. I thought he was being unbelievably disingenuous in a way that he was being very genuine in his assessment of the Sunderland game. And we'll come on to that. But Moyes said uh, we played quite well and we were a bit unlucky. And uh, I'm sorry, that's just not good enough. You know, if you look at the bare stats, sure, Knighty had quite a bit of the ball. and, And actually, the the problem we've criticised United for a lot this season, being rather direct with the ball and rather wasteful with possession, wasn't the problem against Chelsea. Actually, United kept the ball very neatly in the middle third of the pitch. Uh, it was at both ends that the real problem came. And in those details, games are won and lost and United did not play well in front of goal or defending goal. No, absolutely. Moy said we played well in periods, which was also not true because we played well in period, but then we completely stopped once they had scored, essentially. Uh, there definitely was some misfortune. The fact that the second goal happened just on the stroke of, I can't remember if it was the end of the first half or the beginning of the second half, but and either way, it felt pretty devastating timing-wise. It was the end of the second first half, wasn't it? Um, and Mourinho said United didn't deserve to go in 2-0 down, which is, you know, him being a bit magnanimous again. But we did deserve to go in 2-0 down because the penultimate ball was quite good but the final ball was terrible and the defending was beyond schoolboy so all the central defenders on the pitch even the ones not playing in central defence had a go at, at creating a problem for a goal um or, or uh, having a meltdown of one kind or another Jones fell on his backside with a very simple shimmy from Eto'o too easy for Eto'o Uh, The second goal, well, real, real blame has to be apportioned to Raphael for just sort of, you know, deciding that as the second ball was coming in, he would just stroll back towards his position on the pitch rather than do something about the massive hole he was leaving in our back line. And the third goal, Johnny Evans lost his man, right? 
Right, yeah. I, I mean, it was horrendous, the defending, and this is the thing that Moyes is supposed to have been an expert in. That's his strength, isn't it? Organising defence. He was a former defender, and, and United's defending has been woeful this season. Woeful. And too many players are making individual mistakes, too many structural mistakes too. I mean, you can't... Sometimes I feel sorry for Moyes, right? If you can't count on international players to do basic, basic defending, like cover your man in your zone or not as the case may be, then, then you know, what's what can he do? You know, this is really, really basic stuff. So for one of the goals, Raphael was attracted across the pitch. Uh, Evra went to the ball. Johnny Evans followed the ball and Vidic stayed in his zone, right? So you've got three players out of position, one player in position, no one marking the empty zone. And that's where one of the goals came from. And mistakes like that happening all the time at the moment. And, and this is why United are losing games. And uh, I'm afraid it's not enough to follow the pattern of United's play and say oh we did all right didn't do all right didn't do all right in any of the important stuff you know there's pass 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 in the middle of, of the field a little bit more patient then get it out to the wing then waste the ball yes right and and i'm afraid it's too one-dimensional it's too one-dimensional it's too easy to defend and that means that united are one of the highest players of the ball from deep wide areas and i know i mentioned this stat before in the Premier League, right? And, and it didn't quite happen like that, Chelsea. You know, I, I think they actually managed to get higher up the pitch than has often been the case. But it wasn't effective. It wasn't effective in the slightest. And, and the, the few chances United had weren't taken, well, except the one. And United deservedly lost that game. And, and, and the really worrying thing was that Chelsea didn't really feel like they'd got out of first gear. It felt like there was more to come from Chelsea if they'd wanted it. And almost they were respecting United too much. I think they could have really hammered us. Yeah, I mean, partly that's just Mourinho teams, isn't it? They always feel like they've there's more that they could be giving, except in those games where they really need to give their all. So that that's not an unusual feeling at Stamford Bridge with Mourinho Chelsea teams. And I think that the one thing that you have to say is Rooney and Van Persie out... There are very few teams in the league that could cope with two players of that quality being injured without seeing a very significant drop in their own abilities to do stuff with the ball in the final third. And I I think that that's something that has to be kind of put into the mixer when you're thinking about Moyes' time at United now. If Moyes' training methods are partly culpable for Van Persie's injury, that obviously is hugely problematic, but we don't know that that's the case, you know. Yeah, but the one thing I'd say is that, I mean, despite that and it's a valid excuse, it's a valid excuse to say that uh, United had two very key players out, of course you know, any team that loses two of their best players, or perhaps their two best players will be affected by it, but the level of performance from the rest of the players was almost non-existent, you know, I'd say, and this is anecdotal, this is just, you know, my assessment in my own mind I'd say that the top eight players were all Chelsea players and the the bottom eight players were all United players, you know? There's so many poor performances. It's almost as if really only Michael Carrick had a decent performance for United. And the rest of them, shocking, you know? Uh, Vidic, horrible performance. De Gea didn't look so certain. Let's not even get onto Sunderland yet. Ashley Young, terrible. Evra had a bad game. Yanazai just wasn't effective. I know he was probably United's brightest attacking player. Raphael had a stinker. Jones in midfield had an utter stinker. I mean, he just looked like he'd been out for eight weeks. Oh, hang on a minute. He had been out for eight weeks. So what did you expect? Antonio Valencia went back to bad Antonio Valencia. Danny Welbeck had absolutely no influence whatsoever. So, you know, stinker, 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 stinker. Whereas Chelsea were very very effective in the key position. You know, Eto devastating. We don't always expect that. Cahill and Terry uh, utterly assured at the back. You know, even Aspilicueta, who's who's not always performed that well, did really well in an unfamiliar position. So they just look secure in midfield. They look secure at the back, and they scored goals when it counted. Yeah, I mean, we needed David Luiz to get comedically sent off by trying to kill Adnan Yanazai. That felt like the only way that game was going to go. Uh, well, he gave it a good shot. He did. Um, Yanazai left uh, a lovely moment where he absolutely skinned Luiz. That was that was quite enjoyable. Uh, and, and, you know, Yanazai easily United's best player in that game in a way that should embarrass his senior colleagues because he's extremely talented. But when I was thinking about the Sunderland game and who Moyes might pick for that, the idea that Yanazai clearly needed a rest and actually the way the Sunderland game played out really did prove that he needed a rest. But there was no way that Moyes could rest Yanazai because he just needed him too much. And I think that is one of the single best things about signing Juan Mata is that it means that Yanazai will be able to rest when he needs to, which 
will hopefully mean that he gets to develop in a slightly more functional way because I think trying to develop into the player that we all hope he'll become when he's got to play every week even though he's 18 and exhausted is a bit unfortunate hmm. well he did play the 90 minutes against Chelsea and, and that was probably unnecessary given the state of the match I mean I guess Moyes believed that anything can happen and maybe United could have come back late in that game although it didn't really look like it did it frankly it was a hugely disappointing performance and very predictable as well and uh, you know I guess there's a little bit of the heart says you know maybe we can do something that the head said wasn't very likely I mean we both predicted a loss you got the score right by the way it doesn't happen very often but you did I go back to that piece by Andy Mitten, his column last week when he said that uh, there have been very few times in his his you know time watching United since the early 90s when he'd felt as pessimistic about a game and it probably sums it up quite well I have to say the last time I felt that pessimistic about a game we won 5-0 so um, doesn't always turn out the way you think it's going to but this one certainly did I was like oh great I got the score prediction right of one of the very few games I've ever really badly not wanted to get the score prediction right for but 3-1 felt like a pretty appropriate guess for the relative gap between the two sides, you know, and uh, and 3-1 sort of flattered United, as you said. I mean, Hernandez, of course, scored against Chelsea because it's somehow contractually written that that'll happen, even though he was terrible in that game. Uh, and again, terrible against Sunderland. I, I, do f- I do feel for Hernandez, but he's not putting the performances in whatsoever. But Welbeck was also terrible and, you know, much as it pains me to say that, that was the case. Just rubbish, absolutely. United were rubbish in that game. They were good for 10 minutes and then they were rubbish. And I was wound up by what Moy said after the match because it was so, so disingenuous and so unhelpful. Uh, And then I thought about it afterwards and I thought, well, really, what's he supposed to say, Mm. especially with the semi-final coming up? You know, really is now the time to throw his players under the bus. And I think he was right to throw his players under the bus after the Sunderland game because, frankly, metaphorically speaking, that is where they belong. Oh, ouch. (laughs) Well, look, I I think at some point the players won't even respect him if he pretends that everything's going on very well. There there was a a strange article by uh, Duncan Castle, who I I have to say I find validity in his writing about 0% of the time, but uh, who suggested that Moyes had taken that message that they'd played well into the dressing room and it had played out badly in front of the players. Who who knows where he got that information from? Maybe a player, maybe he just uh, heard it on the grapevine. But uh, either way you kind of think anecdotally if he's saying that kind of thing to the players as well as the press um, if he's not being completely disingenuous and he actually believes this nonsense it's not going to play out well these guys have been there and done it they know they play badly and they know they're playing badly uh, and I don't think he'll get any respect for it so I think he will get more respect by throwing a few teacups getting angry about it uh, and then coming up with a plan to sort it the F out um, because he needs to do that it's too long now you know I, I think he gets the two years I haven't changed my mind on that but it's too long to say it's now acceptable that United are still playing like this um, given the point swing is 18 points down uh, on the season but also the point swing up for the other teams means there's a more than 30 point swing in some cases to Chelsea that's unacceptable Uh, It's unacceptable for the players. It's unacceptable for the manager. Uh, There is a shared responsibility, but it's clear that the players are not playing for this manager. Absolutely. And it's worrying and and you do wonder what's going to happen in the summer. I mean, we'll come on to that when we talk about transfers, but the the Sunderland game, I mean... What can you even say about a display like that from players that are supposed to be high-level professional footballers? Players that emerge with some credit. Adnan Yanazai uh, emerges with some credit. Overworked, but found some reserves. I mean, he completely lost it around the 60-minute mark. Not at all surprising. Entirely about fatigue. Found some reserves of energy to contribute during extra time. Very impressive. Darren Fletcher scored his penalty. Pretty tidy in possession. More passes than Michael Carrick. That's weird in itself. Well, he lost the ball quite a bit early on. It looked like he wasn't up to the pace of the game, but I thought it grew through the game. Yeah, absolutely. 85% pass completion for what that's worth. Um... Chris Smalling, excellent game at centre-back. Well done, Chris. Yeah, I thought he was very good. I thought Raphael was good too. Uh, he, he was all right, I thought, uh, and but he, he gave away a good number of fouls and I really thought we were going to get punished for one of those set pieces as well. Um, but yeah, he was all right. Uh, and of course, he missed his penalty, which was unfortunate. 
but the rest of them could just do one after that game <laughs> frankly I mean I don't really rate it as an opinion generally when people say the players just don't look bothered because I think that that's very rarely the case it's very rarely the case that players aren't trying hard enough to win but there's just a complete total and utter lack of courage leadership incision confidence you know lots of people afterwards go none of this is Moise's fault this is all the players fault and the flip side of that is it's also Moise's job to instill some of that stuff in the players well quite yes for the most part I think I've been more critical of Moise than I've been of the players this season and because he's the man that's leading and he's the man who's responsible and if he can't get the players playing it's his fault right but he can't do anything about individual mistakes all of the time sometimes the players have got to take some responsibility and they made a lot of mistakes individually and wasting possession mistakes defensively giving the ball away penalties my god awful uh, so you know in part I feel sorry for Moyes where I don't feel sorry for him is in the decisions he makes you know, the fact that Patrice Evra clearly was fit enough to play because he came on later a little bit of an odd decision not to start him then a little bit odd to pull Valencia on for Shinji Kagawa I thought I mean he changed the nature of the game in doing that and very very odd with Michael Carrick coming on off with a, an injury and, and Phil Jones coming on. This is the time that United could have stamped their authority on the game uh, and perhaps Ryan Giggs or another substitute with a more offensive nature would have been the right one to make at that time. But, you know, this is it's not the first time that that defensive nature of substitution late in the game when he's clearly trying to shut it down because at that stage United would have won on away goals uh, has blown up in his face. So that's... A decision you can blame him for but most of the problems were caused entirely by the players against Sunderland I'm finding it extremely difficult to be coherent about that game because I can't really remember United ever being quite so abject honestly I mean we've been bad there's been times when we've been really bad you know but Sunderland are one of the bottom three sides in the Premier Division they are not a good quality side three of their back four are players deemed not good enough for Manchester United that's the level of opposition we're playing and you know out of those three players one of them I think it's only injuries that stopped him being one of the greats you know talent wise so I don't mean any disrespect to our former brothers um that is the practical reality of the situation so to lose to Sunderland over two legs is a disgraceful result for a team with pretensions of still being a significant yeah. force in British football and this is not bad luck this is not referees this is not blamed on injuries this is not a one-off cup tie this is two legs over I was going to say 180 minutes but it's even more than that 210 minutes a long long time of football in which Sunderland deserved to be winners right frankly frankly they, des- yeah. they thoroughly deserve Absolutely. And this is the, the team that is the second worst team in the division at this time of speaking. Yeah, you know, they did play well. Sunderland played well. They defended really well. Um, and in a way, United almost, almost, almost rid their luck to the end of that game uh, and just weren't able to do that. And But they didn't deserve to do that either, you know. And the result, you can't say it's not a fair result. Those penalties... You know, whenever a penalty shootout comes up now, I think of the Africa Cup of Nations final between Zambia and Ivory Coast, which is the greatest penalty shootout of all time. There's just no denying that that's the case. Um, then there was the one in the Confederations Cup, uh, I think, last summer. Uh, I think it was between Italy and Spain, where just penalty after penalty, brilliant, precise, devastating. <laughs> the Sunderland versus Manchester United penalty shootout has to be... I mean... I know they were all tired. I know they were all emotional. But I have to say, in my head, before the thing, I thought, okay, what's going to happen here is that Raphael's going to take one because he's got a lot of bottle, but he's going to miss it. Same with Phil Jones. Uh, I think Danny Welbeck's going to miss. I don't know. I just had really horrific feelings. I thought Fletcher would score, and he did. Um, The one that I thought was going to score and didn't, I think, was Adam Johnson. But it just all seemed so very predictable once it went to penalties and I felt for De Gea because I mean you say he wasn't great against Chelsea but I think that's harsh I don't think he did very very much wrong against Chelsea and that was just like De Gea from two and a half years ago a a, a proper Rick really 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 bad one I mean it seems so unusual for him these days and it's just lack of concentration you know he had hardly anything to do you know, as much as we praise Sunderland of course they created almost no chances I think was that, their first shot on target uh, was that and, and so it's just a lack of concentration uh, it's unusual for him and hopefully that'll give him a good kick because he's been brilliant this season you know and it's hard to criticise him uh, even though he's made such a horrendous mistake because he's been so good 
Penalties. So it was unfortunate, I suppose, that so many of United's um, natural penalty takers were not on the pitch. Uh, unfortunate that Hernandez, who can hit a ball cleanly, was uh, seemed to get a very bad case of cramp. Um, so uh, ended up with really only Danny Welbeck being the attacking player. Uh, and a lot of the others did what you'd expect. I mean, Phil Jones skied it. No, no real surprise there. Adnan Yanazai, as soon as he took that short run up, uh, I thought, yep, here we go. He's going to miss this, which was a real shame for him because he can he can hit the ball very very cleanly Raphael actually caught it cleanly but it's a, a brilliant save by the keeper who I don't know whether Raphael was just looking in the corner or trying to give the keeper the eyes and double bluff him but he looked at the corner very pointedly and then hit it that way and uh, I suppose you'd expect a, a bit more composure from Welbeck but generally speaking five very bad penalties or four yeah I mean absolutely four, uh, well no five because Fletcher's trickled in you know he was pretty lucky to, to score that one you know the fact that we scored one penalty in a, in a penalty shootout it's just uh, I just can't that, that game was awful and it, it showed what we so desperately need you know cover for Everett left back replacement for Everett left back because he's off in the summer right so that is absolutely vital players in the central midfield because Carrick did not have his worst game but he did have one of those games where I don't know some people say that Carrick is a cowardly footballer and I think that's overly harsh but sometimes he just goes missing when you really need him and this was one of those I mean the one moment where he tries to play a pass a through ball and just very carefully passes it out of play you know um, real really kind of summed up the incision of his night so worrying worrying yeah. well it is worrying because he's had a he's not had a great season I think he would be greatly greatly benefited by someone with a bit of energy in midfield who who had the stamina and the quality to really up United's level in that area Fletcher I haven't got a bad word to say about him because it's amazing that he's come back uh, everyone is enjoying the fact that he's back on the pitch he may be able to up his level further but right now he's not a really top player uh, and you know he did okay and he showed some heart and drive and you'd expect that from Fletcher but I think you need a little bit more so if you had a Fletcher with a bit more quality and a bit more legs you would really help Carrick in there I think you know like a, an Ilke Gundogan or something like that of course he's off to Real so let's not uh, dream about that one but you know, someone with some energy and drive in there would, would help Carrick a lot and Arturo Vidal if you will well he is the best player on the planet uh, according to Arturo Vidal <laughs> um, I, I would take him in a heartbeat though I mean the, the whole thing about why this is apparently not a ridiculous transfer because you'd think in a team cruising to the Serie A title leaving to come and join 7th place Manchester United uh, doesn't seem like a great move um, but apparently he's not on very much money that is of course the most relative of all relative terms ever yes I know it's hard to live on you know just the 40 grand a week yeah I mean you, Juve's, Juve's uh, you know, revenue to go back to the conversation we were having just before we came on the uh, is, is substantially lower than United's uh, their base salary is substantially lower too that's why there are murmurings about some of their best players I mean, they are punching above their weight at the moment, Juve. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but not in Europe, of course. Um, no, out of, out of the Champions League. Yeah. yeah, and that's, I think, perhaps one of the reasons why they might not have quite the stickiness uh, you'd expect. But Vidal, if it happens, you'd think it's more likely to happen in the summer. But I have to say, the matter transfer is one of those transfers that makes me think, oh, I just don't know what's going to happen next. Because mm. if you told me we were going to spend £40 million this transfer window on one matter, I would have bitten your hand off and then said, spat out your hand and gone, sorry about that. That was a weird thing to do. That didn't really. That didn't really work. No, uh, and then I would have said, no. "That's not going to happen. No way." Uh, so who <laughs> knows? Who knows what's going to happen um, now? All, all bets are off. I have to say, I didn't think the matter thing would happen in the end because I, I thought it would come down to a very large bid, and, and United would. Um, not have the stomach for it so I guess I was wrong on that one and, and that opens up all sorts of other possibilities look for sure there is going to have to be a lot of business right United have no choice and there are two things that help that one is that United's free cash flow at the moment is is substantial a lot of money in the bank because of the um, refinancing on the refinancing on the refinancing has reduced the amount of interest payments uh, it's under control and a lot of the new sponsorship deals kicked in there's a lot of cash available so that's that one the two Two, uh, United have been smashed in the stock market. We talked about this last week, but the value has fallen significantly since Ferguson's retirement. If that value is linked in any way to performances on the pitch, and uh, it's linked 
mostly to performances on the balance sheet then there's a reason to invest there's a good solid reason to invest even if the Glazers have not wanted to and then the third thing and this is really important there's going to be a lot of change at the club Ferdinand Vidic Evra Fabio Macheda all out of contract Nani will surely be sold if there's a, an opportunity the, the new contract earlier this year was mainly to protect his value Anderson will most definitely go as soon as they can find someone who will actually pay cash money sterling or any other currency you can find frankly United would take Bitcoin right now if 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 someone gives them money for Anderson so he'll be sold then there's a lot of question marks about Hernandez and Kagawa as well so you know there could be and then of course the big one is Rooney but there, there could be eight changes at the club maybe even more though I think they'll try for that not to be the case but there could be eight changes and that is an awful lot of turnover uh, and until the later years of Ferguson's reign careful squad management was the watchword this is not normal it's not good business to do it this way it creates instability and it will create another season of transition but I don't think United have any choice and I also think it may be good for Moyes because he's going to create his own team very very quickly if that happens and the Glazers will have to put in huge amounts of money of course they'll get some back for some of those players but they're going to have to put in huge amounts of money because if they don't what we see right now is going to continue yeah I mean absolutely and and I think it's likely it's reasonably likely to happen and I have to say the matter transfer one of the things that's so wonderful about it gosh I hope it hasn't all fallen apart by the time this podcast comes out otherwise it's going to be heartbreaking uh, but one of the things is so wonderful about it is it kind of feels like an arrest to the sense of the end of the empire that sense of end of empire that we're all feeling, the crumbling edifice of Manchester United. The matter transfer says, no, actually, we're still competing at the very highest level for transfers. Yes. Well, it does if it's backed up. Yeah, yeah, This is it. If if he's pre-spending his summer budget, it's not good at all because uh, United will then end up with potentially a very thin squad or a very ageing squad because they'll have to offer new deals to Vidic and Evera and Ferdinand. As it is, and and it looks like they're short in some areas at the back anyway, we'll probably have to buy four defenders uh, and they can't all be young, promising defenders because we know what we'll get with that and they need a central midfielder and they need another wide player. So that's at least six there that really have to happen just for the basic good squad management. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's really problematic and it's going to be really interesting to see how it happens. Well, it's going to be challenging for Woodward, isn't it? Because there's the World Cup, no business will get done then. United, if they're sensible, will have worked out their plan. And Moyes says they have worked out their plan and they'll do the business early and decisively, which, of course, is not Moyes or Woodward style. And they'll do it before the World Cup because otherwise they're into the summer tour to North America. Presuming that happens and United aren't in Europa League qualification round 47, (laughs) playing some Estonian side, FC Estonia or something uh, then then um, it's going to be very difficult to do the business then too so this is a difficult summer to do business it always is during the World Cup or a major tournament there and so all that change and a difficult summer wow you know United have got some problems to deal with yeah but then again to go back to why the matter transfer is wonderful it has not been done at the last minute you know it's not January the 31st at 12 o'clock have we got the facts in in time this is being done with a week to spare calmly I mean as calmly as a, a helicopter based multi-million pound transfer multi 10 million pound transfer can be so again maybe some signs that positive things are afoot at the club and some of the rebuilding is taking place and let's just hope that that's the case because what we saw on the pitch offered absolutely no hope whatsoever I mean the the one thing that you could say is that the performances genuinely can't get much worse than that game against Sunderland you know I guess they could because the few good individual performances could be taken out but you know it would be pretty hard to make it much worse than that well i keep thinking that we've reached the nadir (laughs) and i'm not sure anymore you know i'm really not sure so there's a theory going around uh, my workplace that if if united lose in the next two games to stoke and cardiff moyes will get the boot i don't think that will happen Uh, i think we'd have to sink somewhat lower than that Uh, i think i said on the pod just before christmas that he'd have to lose 10 more league games in order to get the sack which would take united somewhere like 13 or 14 league defeats and uh, frankly if united lost 14 games in the season he would definitely deserve the sack um i think you said 10 games i don't think you said 10 more league games that's my my memory of it i could be wrong though i wouldn't swear to it well luckily this is all public (laughs) we can always work it out at some stage but in any case my point was that it'd have to be pretty dramatic for moist to go and and i I don't think that's likely right now it is being quite dramatic i mean it's not 
quite as dramatic as all that, but it's pretty dramatic because, like, say we scrape past Olympiacos in the Champions League, then whoever we get next in the Champions League is quite likely to batter us. I mean, not to not to be unnecessarily defeatist, but the way things are going at the moment, we're definitely not going to be able to strengthen our Champions League squad in this transfer window. So, so things are pretty bleak between now and the end of the season. We are going to have to put one heck of a run together to do anything in the league. I did the maths after Moyes uh, refused to rule us out for a title charge. Oh man, man! Even if we win every single game, we'd get to eighty-five points. All right. And and I don't think that will win the league. It's uh, 85 points has won the league two out of the last five years. Also, that's even if we win every single game between now and the end of the season. I, to be honest, I'll take winning a few games between now and the end of the season. But to get fourth place is not going to be trivial. I know nobody listening to this podcast wants to hear praise of Liverpool Football Club. And frankly, after the way they behaved around Suarez, I don't really want to give any praise to Liverpool Football Club. But Rodgers wasn't there when that happened, at least. But, you know, they are playing pretty decent football. They're not mistake-free. They're not solid. They've got this big problem with Steven Gerrard where he seems to be making them worse when he plays. But when they're at their best, they look perfectly capable of putting together a run between now and the end of the season, which means they maintain a gap ahead of us. You can't see Liverpool's season between now and the end of the season being dramatically worse than ours, can you? Well, no, and it's not just Liverpool, and this is the equation that faces United. You know, In order to win the league, not only would we have to put that incredible run together, but we'd need City, Chelsea and Arsenal to all screw up. Right, so it never happens that three fall into bad form. One or maybe two, but one of them is going to keep on piling the points, and I think it will be City in the end. But the same situation almost faces us for fourth place as well. So Liverpool had the points, but Everton and Tottenham are in there as well. So we have to assume that United will outperform by at least six points in order to get that spot. In fact, it really needs to be more because of the goal difference. So we have to be six points, seven points better off than Liverpool, and possibly better off than however many points better off it needs to be, but a few than. Everton and Tottenham as well right so that is a, it's not just about United's performances now it's about the others too uh, and that's what makes the equation really difficult yeah absolutely absolutely and and I think looking at it with the kind of most rational head I can find on I would say that Champions League qualification is a massive long shot now at this point given what you've just said given that there's three teams between us and that qualification and at least well, no, all three of those teams are capable of having a better second half of the season than Manchester United. And that's very unfortunate news for us. But the signing of Mata changes that slightly, for sure. Uh, and if we can build on that signing and sign someone else in January, which that seems like a real long shot, but then, we are, then we're really talking, <laughs> you know. Well, the big games are going to be really crucial for United. I mean, United played Spurs twice, so I guess we don't have to worry about that. But we do play Liverpool and Everton again. They're going to be big games, definitely going to be big games. And of course, we play City again uh, we play Arsenal again in a couple of weeks so there are some big games left for United United do not have a very good record against uh, teams above them in the league a terrible record in fact uh, caught Arsenal on a really bad day apart from that it's a stinky series of results so none of the history of this season tells you that United is suddenly going to put in a run of massive results. Maybe Mata will be a stimulus. Maybe, maybe, maybe. He's not going to solve the problems at the back, that's for sure. And he's not going to solve the, the problems in central midfield, we don't think. Absolutely. Uh, big games, crucial, but also the not-so-obviously big games absolutely crucial because it is only barely hyperbole to say that every game between now and the end of the season is a cup final for David Moyes if he wants to get anything meaningful out of this season well right um, because look let, let's be honest United are not going to win the European Cup <laughs> I mean they, they not might Bayern, Real, it. Barcelona Paris Saint-Germain miles ahead yeah, I mean, in terms City of, as in, well. In terms of quality, we're not going to win the uh, European Cup, but the Chelsea side that won the European Cup a couple of seasons ago were far from the best team in Europe, and we might fluke it, you know. But you're right. I mean, you, you well, you never know. You never know. I mean, maybe Moyes will get a plan together. <laughs> but let, let, let's be honest; it's probably not going to happen. So out of the FA Cup, out of the league, uh, out of the League Cup. So really, the only thing to play for is that fourth spot. That is so desperately sad. We've become yeah. Arsenal in six months, yeah. but it's really crucial, you know. And United financially, of course, can definitely take the hit. 
This is the really worrying thing. All that change in the summer, uh, you accelerate your decline if you buy mediocre. We've seen it with Liverpool and we've seen it with Arsenal. And yeah, you could bake in the decline by buying the wrong players in the summer. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's, it's a massive risk. It's a massive risk. And, and Moise has got to know this. He's got to know this and the, the club have got to know this, that uh, they could bake in for the next five years mediocre performances and mediocre enough that you know, start dropping out of the Champions League because that will have a material effect over a, a certain period of time on the bottom line and that's the only thing the Glazers care about they don't care about trophies you could bake in the end of the era you could bake in 20 years of not making it uh, and it's not inevitable that one bad summer and five bad years means it takes us 20 years to get back on top but it's also not impossible that that wouldn't wouldn't happen I mean I have to say that the one thing about all this the one shining light in all this is the worst case scenario is that the football team you support isn't that good you know you know what I mean it's like yeah that, that would be a real shame for all of us that's Ah, damn you and your perspective. I'm not interested in that. <laughs> you know, it's just that that's the that's the the one silver lining of all this kind of stuff. But yeah, all right. And yeah, look, let, let's we we've we've been going on and on and on. We yeah, should but... hear other people's perspectives too. Have we got Twitter <laughs> questions? We have. Um, at Liz Worsley says, "Is this season a horrible nightmare slash a Scouser's wonderful dream? Surely it can't be real." I'm afraid it is. Uh, Bobby Ewing is not about to pop out of the shower. This is real. It's not a dream. That is a reference for the older listeners amongst you can't believe that that's the, the case um, at Happy Hero says if David Moyes was a fictional character which fictional character would he be? someone from the Lion King because he's just walking around singing Hakuna Matata all day because he's happy about the signing of Juan Mata Inspector Cluzo bumbling fool that he is no that's mean that's mean at Stiuge says do golden unicorns that ingest cash exist or was the signing of Juan Mata just a one-off big money signing for United? I'm not sure about the golden unicorns, but uh, see reference to previous conversation. I think United have to spend a lot more uh, and the impetus and the imperative is there to do it now. So um, for the first time in a long time, I kind of believe that United really need to spend the cash. And I don't just mean in terms of a fan's need, but a business need to. Uh, at Machine Gun says, what number should matter have? Seven with Adnan taking gigs is 11. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable shout. Mm, I don't think you can give seven to a new purchase, can you? We gave it to Michael Owen when we yeah, signed well, him. That, that was dirty and wrong and I don't like to think about that. I think he should get number eight and uh, and Adnan, homegrown-ish, uh, gets number seven from next season. Uh, at Chuparos says, uh, when do you think Smug United fans will stop using the support the new manager speech without provocation? Yeah, I don't know. Probably never if, uh, if uh, evidence of uh, Fergie can do no wrong and uh, the Glazers are doing the best they can for the club type arguments. And Wayne Rooney, Wayne Rooney's never won no. Oh, never, never, except once. for the time he tried to get to Chelsea and City and the time he's still trying to get to Chelsea. Um, at Typical City asks, uh, with Rene now at Fulham, should we be fearing title challenge for them next season? P.S. Great show, lads. Great show yourself, Rob. They might be in for a title challenge next season. Absolutely. Actually, uh, very true. Uh, the championship title. <laughs> yes. Uh, and finally, from uh, the good people at Full Time Devils, uh, do you think Juan Mata is a cat person? I'm not sure in my life I've ever seen a tweet and suddenly had such a clear realisation that what was being said in that tweet was definitely true. Juan Mata is a cat person. There's no two ways about it. He seems like a nice lad, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Seems, not, I, it seems like a nice lad, yeah. I, I don't think he would dislike dogs, don't get me wrong. I just think mm. there is a certain feline quality. But you see, it's the nice ones you got to worry about. Secretly, secretly, he's some deviant, deviant nastiness, isn't he? No, I refuse to accept that the saviour of Manchester United is anything other than pure as the driven snow. Actually, you know what? I think I've seen him down the rubber club. <laughs> no, no. Um, Talking of all that is good and pure, we take on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, in the next uh, Premier League game before we record another podcast. We've got this weekend off, but we do play on Tuesday night under the lights at Old Trafford. Tickets on general sale. How many emails and text messages have you had, Ed? Bombarded with them, yes. They are on general sale, and of course it wasn't a sellout for the Sunderland game, although that's no real surprise. Yeah, hard times for the marketing department. You wouldn't have thought you'd have to sell Ollie coming back to Old Trafford hard, though. I mean, he's going to get a fantastic reception, and and only rightly so. And of course, he'll come with a couple of former United players in uh, Wolf Ikram and Mats Moladali. Uh, Dali might not make the squad, but Ikram will do. And uh, it's going to be a nice occasion. 
if United don't get beaten. Uh, it looks like, I mean, I'm sure it will be alone and so he won't be available, but will Zaha go to Cardiff gathering pace, uh, that story? Yes, it seems to have been done, which is important. I think it's good for Cardiff, good for Wilf, the, the story going around that his uh, his attitude has not improved over the year. Turned up late for the under-21 game the other night and was therefore put on the bench. So uh, let's hope Oli sorts him out. He seems like a very sensible, rational and strong-willed manager, uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, and I think he will, and if he can't get the best out of Zahar, Zahar's going to ruin his career and someone needs to get that penny to drop quick because too much raw talent to blow it, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm struggling to imagine a world in which we don't win this game, but it's a very real possibility, of course. I mean, I've, oh, we have definitely got enough. Uh, Rooney should be back, you'd imagine, by this point. Even maybe Van Persie might be involved. Juan Mata, hopefully, all being well, might be involved. Yanazai will have had a good long rest, which he badly needs. I think if we played this weekend, it would have been absolutely crazy to play him again. Uh, but maybe, maybe a full week after the Sunderland game will be long enough. So... You'd think that surely, surely, surely we can do this and put some sort of performance together. But but plenty of problems still for Moyes, even with his best players back. So the thing is with Cardiff is they just do not score any goals. Uh, they got a 17 all season in the league. Having said that, Oli has clearly, in the few games he's been in charge, already brought in a more attacking philosophy. I was uh, privileged to be special guest on uh, Built on Sloper Road, a Cardiff City podcast this week, and had a good long chat to the, the guys there about Cardiff, and they said they'd already noticed the effect. Uh, they went to City and scored twice went to Newcastle and scored twice so you know they've had some tough game a tough defeat to West Ham and that was perhaps a surprise in those three so they've got a chance of making it out they've got it it's so tight at the bottom they just need to score more goals and I think uh, Wolf Eichram will help them there he's not a quick player but he's a player tempo player and he'll help dictate play through their midfield Uh, Mats Moladali very 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 talented Um, we'll see whether he has an impact this season he's very young still of course They've got a chance, but they've just got to score more goals. And, and the fact that they don't um, leads me to believe that United, with the extra stimulus and matter, with Rooney coming back, that United will win this one. But it's hard to be confident about any home game at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. As we speak, my headphones are dying a death. Uh, wireless headphones running out of batteries. So um, I think it's time to wrap up this show. Ed, what is your prediction for the Cardiff game? I think United win 2-0. I uh, know, bold, bold prediction there. Uh, I also think a billionaire will make us an offer for the rank cast that we get. No, no, they won't. <laughs> I think we're going to win this one, and I think we're going to win by mm, two goals to one. All right, very good. Well, that's it for this week. Let's hope United beat Cardiff. Uh, it'll be lovely to see Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer at Old Trafford once again, uh, along with a couple of former players. United badly needs some stimulus. It's come in the transfer market. Maybe it'll come in the league as well. In the meantime, if you want to get hold of us, you can get hold of us on Twitter at United Rant or at UTD Rantcast on Facebook slash Facebook.com United Rant. Uh, we're on iTunes for the podcast, but you know that already because you found us. You can keep up with the running costs of the show at uh, unitedrant.co.uk slash donate. Many donations recently. Thank you very much. It is much appreciated and really does go to just paying for the site uh, because we are freeware. In the meantime, best of luck to you all and good night. Good night.